Welcome to the Creative Agency Account Manager podcast with me, Jenny Plant from Account Management Skills Training. I'm on a mission to help those in agency client service keep and grow those existing client relationships so your agency business can thrive. Welcome to episode 103. This episode will be particularly relevant to agency owners who want to become less hands-on in their agency and just step away from the day-to-day operations. I'm chatting to Carl Sakis. Carl is an agency growth consultant in the US and author of several books, the latest of which is called Work Less and Earn More, a practical guide for agency owners to help them escape the daily grind of agency ownership. Carl has been years consulting with agency owners and leaders. And I think Because he originally had an operations background, he seems to have a wonderful way of explaining useful concepts and ideas using models and frameworks, which are really easy to follow. Now, Carl shares not only some practical tips if you're looking to be less hands-on in the agency business, but also his views on agency account management and why separating the role from project management makes sense. Let's go over to the intro now. Carl Sakis helps digital agency owners work less and earn more while creating growth opportunities for their employees. Drawing on his background in agency operations, Carl has personally advised hundreds of agencies around the world. He is the author of three books and more than 400 articles on agency management. And when he's not helping clients, Carl volunteers as a bartender on an antique train. Carl, big warm welcome. Benny, great to be here. Looking forward to helping people. Before we get into the serious questions, could you just tell me which train is this car? Because I'm really curious. So it's owned by a nonprofit based in Washington, D.C. in the U.S. It's called the Dover Harbor. The train car is 100 years old, but it has been fixed up to today's safety standards. Our goal at the nonprofit is to deliver an experience that most people alive today have not experienced in terms of the level of service and all that. It's a fun experience. I bet it's a fun experience. So maybe I can sort of drill you on that and another time, because obviously the audience wants to know all about your knowledge of account of agency management. So, okay, let's dive straight in, Carl. What are the most common problems you help agency owners fix? As an agency advisor, my work primarily focuses on helping agency owners find ways to work less and earn more, as I shared in my my latest book. And part of that also includes finding opportunities to help agency employees grow professionally as they take on new responsibilities and grow in their careers as well. So that's the general approach. And within that, that includes helping owners if they're looking to do an exit, helping them build and grow the agency for a favorable exit. Or if they lean more toward running a lifestyle business, a lifestyle agency, helping them craft their roles so that they do what they like doing and less of what they don't want to do. And there also could be something in the middle where it's maybe a case where the owner wants to continue owning the agency, but step back to a chair role and hire a CEO to run things for them. So work less or more, but it is unique to each agency. So you pretty much help them from the moment they start the agency all the way through to exit, really, at these different sort of key milestones along the way. Yes. Usually clients will reach out to me after they've been running their agency for at least a few years. Though sometimes I'll talk with people as they're just getting started, you know, and and often they're at a major inflection point. For instance, one agency owner said she'd been running her agency for 10 years. 
she was like, I thought by now I wouldn't be working so many hours and I thought I'd be making more money. And and indeed, we found ways to to fix both of those challenges. So, so once you've sort of got under the bonnet a little bit, what are yes. the common symptoms that you see? You know, obviously, she'd been running her agency for 10 years. She still wasn't really as hands off maybe as she wanted to be. What do you see once you start working with them? What are the common things that an agency owner might be doing inadvertently? One common challenge is that the owner continues to be the account manager for all of their client relationships or maybe many of their client relationships, which makes sense when the agency started. Right. And in the early days, the owner is going to be the account manager, in addition to the salesperson and doing delivery and doing client strategy. It helps to think about agency roles, not just based on the job title, but the type of role. And I've identified six role categories, AM, PM, your subject matter experts, client strategy, biz dev, which is marketing, sales and partnerships. And then finally, the sixth one is support, which is operations and leadership. So what often I'll do if an owner is still involved in account management help them find ways to get account management off their plate, whether that's delegating to an existing team member, helping you know get them ready for that, that kind of shift. They may need to hire account managers. They may need to do something else. That's a common situation where the owner is still doing account management. They might still continue doing client strategy, for instance, but they may not be the day-to-day. That frees the owner to do more business-oriented things within the agency. So that's a common situation. Another might be where the owner maybe has delegated account management, but they're still doing a lot of things around overseeing and managing the day-to-day business. And that may involve helping them train up an existing team member to lead the operations. That could be someone moving into, say, from a manager to a director role, maybe a director to a VP role, or potentially VP to COO or to president. So that's looking at succession planning, where maybe the owner plans to continue being the CEO, but they want someone running things day to day. You know, in EOS, this would be like the owner being the visionary, and they're bringing in an integrator, either externally hired or someone who's already on board to prepare them. Of course, people don't step into leadership positions without any kind of training or preparation. You'll need to give them support along the way, and ideally a phased ramp-up plan. And the third challenge, if we think about helping the owner get out of day-to-day account management, helping the owner stop leading all of the day-to-day operations, the third category might be if the owner is looking to sell, getting the agency structured and performing financially the way they need to get the offer that they want, to have the exit they want, rather than, you know, they suddenly need to sell urgently and buyers are going to pick that up. How much of this is about the agency owner not wanting to let go, frankly? You know, you say that a starting point could be they're still managing the client relationships. How much of your working with these agency owners is about you prizing them away from it and sort of helping them to overcome that, like, probably need to control? If they are totally unwilling to let go, you know, I, I can't change them. That's more of a therapy topic. Ideally, every agency leader is working with or has worked with a therapist for help. I mean, I've been in therapy for for a long time. I'm a fan of it. If someone is totally unwilling to let go, you know, there's only so much that as an agency advisor, I can help them do. However, if they are ready to let go, but they're not sure what to do next, I can help. And one of the big things that I'll look at, if you imagine a Venn diagram with three circles that are that are interlocking. I look at three things, and you need all three of these things if you want to successfully get things done. The three in the Venn diagram are desire, 
competence and capacity. So if you want to delegate something to someone, they need the desire to do it. They need to want to do it. They need the competence. They need to know how. And then they need the capacity. They need time in their schedule to get it done. And, you know, for everyone who's listening, if you have, say, assigned someone to do something and they're not getting it done or it's you know not happening as you expected, take a look. Does that individual have the desire to do it, the competence to get it done correctly, and then the capacity? And capacity is a big gap for agency owners. It can also be a challenge for account managers if they are juggling too many accounts to handle. You know, you've got the desire and the competence, but if you've got you know, 50 accounts to manage. I hope no one listening has 50 accounts to manage. But if you do, you don't have capacity to handle any one very well. Do the majority of agencies you work with, because I know the majority are independent, are they all charging by the hour? And if so, are they doing timesheets and therefore looking at kind of billing percentages? And if so, probably this is about three questions in one, but just thinking ahead uh, along the lines of what you've just said, for account managers to have the capacity, you know, usually you'd look at their utilization report. What are your views on kind of working out something that's manageable? As you said, a lot of pieces in there. Uh, among the agencies I advise, which, as you said, are independently owned agencies, typically working with agencies under 100 full-time team members, pricing model-wise, so the three pricing models, time and materials are hourly, milestone or deliverable-based, and then value-based pricing. I would say the majority of the clients I work with are on milestone pricing, where they're charging a fixed amount each month for a certain level of help or a fixed amount for a project, could be customer productized. But ultimately, the hours involved don't directly impact the price, although they're considering that in the quote. Some agencies are billing hourly. Increasingly, if you're billing hourly, it's at different rates. So a more senior person is billed at a higher rate than a more junior person. And if you're doing that, by the way, if you're the owner, ideally, you're at a prohibitively high rate so that you are not assigned to the account all the time, right? You're doing the highest impact stuff, but not all the day-to-day -day activities. Value-based isn't as common. And, you know, one consideration there is if you can fix your delivery in an hourly or deliverable-based model, that will fix your profitability faster than shifting totally to value-based. So most are doing uh, a milestone or deliverable-based approach. They still, though, ideally are thinking about the time it takes to get things done because Ultimately, for an agency, your team's time is your inventory. You know, if you're running a factory, you'd have your inventory. Your team's time is the inventory. You're paying people for their time on a wholesale basis, and then you're selling it at a retail basis. Even if you're not charging per hour, the team has limited capacity to get things done. You know, we're back to capacity on desire, competence, capacity. Now, you would raise, can you use the utilization rate which that can mean a lot of things. If we're looking agency-wide, what is the billable utilization rate or on a per-role basis? If we're looking just on the per-role basis, you know, ideally you're going to have some sort of a target for how much each of your team members, including your account managers, are billing. And if you're thinking of a 40-hour week, you might have a shorter week. Uh, but if we're thinking 40-hour week, account managers ideally are billing at least 20 hours a week. It could go up to 30. If you were expecting people, for instance, to bill 40 hours a week, they're probably going to be working 60 hours a week. So make sure if that's what you want, that's not a sustainable way to run things, but just, you know, think through the implications. So say someone is billing, you know, 25 hours a week as an account manager. We would assume that the other time is related to sales support or other internal business building activities and things like that. You know, if someone is billing their target, let's say it's 25 hours a week, 
you can see what kind of client load can they handle. But we could also look at client load, not just in terms of utilization uh, and client budgets, but also what about the size and complexity of the accounts. You know, if you have a client that is paying you a million dollars a month or a million pounds a month or euro or whatever currency, that client is probably going to have several full-time account managers or maybe an account coordinator, an account manager. Maybe there's an account director who maybe isn't full-time on the account or maybe is kind of thing, sort of deal in that case for those account team members, they will have only one client, but it's an enormous client. On the other hand, if an agency is, you know, know, not in that situation, someone might be handling a few accounts, they might be handling four accounts. In my experience, it's hard for anyone to manage more than eight accounts without additional administrative support and getting it done. But some of it does come down to the budget. My general assumption is that if you have the client's total budget, you're going to spend 20 to 25% of the total budget on account management and project management. So if it's a situation where there just isn't enough budget to allocate to the help, you're probably going to have to make some cuts. But those are some factors to consider as you're assigning out accounts. Great. Well, I'm going to dive into a few more questions about project managers and account managers in a moment. But before I do that, I'd love to know, why did you write your latest book, Work Less, Earn More? Yes. So, you know, work less, earn more. The the subtitle is How to Escape the Daily Grind of Agency Ownership. And I guess that's why the subtitle is, is why, you know, running an agency is tough. There's some unique things about running an agency that don't apply in other industries. For instance, it's a services business. So you're highly dependent on people in terms of your team to get things done. And you've got your clients as well as people. But there are other services businesses, for instance, plumbing or an electrician. However, consider, as I share in the intro to Work Lesser and More, if a chief marketing officer, a CMO, hires a plumber to come to their house to fix something, it's pretty clear if the plumber did the job, right? The, the leak stopped, the new appliances installed, whatever it is, like the idea of done is pretty clear. However, if that CMO hires an agency at their job, suddenly the idea of done or is it good enough or you know, is it the right solution? Suddenly it's very different and it could be up for debate. Part of it is because agencies are selling what in economics is known as a credence good, kind of like a lawyer or maybe choosing which college to send your your kids to. You don't know if you pick the right one until later, right? Did your child go to the right school? Well, you'll find out 20 years from now based on how their career is going or, or what have you. And so clients have to make some judgments. That's where agency brand is really powerful. If you have a brand reputation for doing good work, that's helpful. But also the client experience you deliver. Clients aren't going to always know if your marketing strategy is right, but they do know, do you return their calls on time? Are you proactive in the relationship rather than solely reactive? They're having to make these proxy judgments. So when you consider all of these moving parts, running an agency is a really complex business and it's a stressful business. And agency owners often aren't getting paid enough to deal with the stress involved and the pressure on them that all of the people depending on them, their team members for their their rent or their mortgage and their family's future, and not just the team, for the agency owners I work with, you know, these are independent agency owners, their agency is typically their number one or number two financial asset. That is to say, what is paying them six figures in annual income, potentially more, and what is going to sell for ideally a seven or maybe even eight figure exit. Probably nothing else in their portfolio. 
So there's a lot of pressure. And sometimes people feel the pressure if you want to, say, earn more, you have to work more. And to an extent, that's true. But I believe that you can do both. You can work less and earn more if you make the right strategic decisions along the way and then implement. And, and that's what the book is about, helping people work less and earn more. And can you give us a couple of key strategies from the book that yeah. maybe someone listening is thinking, gosh, it sounds like heaven, like that client of yours. I've been running my agency for 10 years. I still don't feel like I've got out of the weeds. Like, give us a couple of strategies. Yes. So one of the agency owners I share about in the book is a case study. Uh, one of his goals was to become increasingly optional in his business. And the key there is that he has a key team member who has had high potential. So we've been building a succession plan and helping him you know, move up along the way. And so it started by deciding he does not want to run the agency forever. You know, That's a key initial step. He also made a good hire who had high potential, but then also didn't just immediately put him in charge of everything, was taking on additional responsibilities more and more over time, continue you know, proving things. And the team member is about to become president of the agency. You know, a multi-year process, not an overnight thing. So start by getting clear on what he wanted to do. I, I have a tool that I describe in the book that I use with clients that I've used myself for over a decade that I call an advanced retrospective, where you write about the future as if it's already happened. And there are various visioning tools out there, but my approach is you pick a date in the future. Maybe it's five years out. Today is December 31st, 2028. It's a great day because, and then you fill it in, you write from there. And if you're trying to decide between two different options, for instance, sell your agency or don't, you could write two versions. December 31st, 2028, it's a great day because I just closed the deal. I just received the wire transfer for you know the, the remainder of the initial payment. And here are all these great things. And you do an, another version where you know, I'm so glad I didn't sell, blah, blah, blah. And you probably find that you enjoy one of those, writing one of those a lot more than the other. That probably tells you the direction to go in. So getting clear on that, having the right team members to delegate to and things like that. And as a result, that particular client is already working on a part-time basis. And I imagine that his you know, workload will go down even more as the team steps up. So that's the key here when you want to go and get the right people and create structures so they can get it done without you. I'm sure people listening are all taking notes I have of to do that exercise. I love the sound of that exercise. I've done similar kind of stuff in the past and haven't done it for ages. So I've just written something down for myself and I hope everyone else has too. You mentioned something. You said the agency owner wanted to be optional. And yes. in your book, you describe these four levels of agency owner involvement in their business. Can you yes. describe those levels and why it's important to identify them? Absolutely. So as you think about your day-to-day -day involvement in the agency, and this is primarily for agency owners, though it could apply to account managers as they move up in their career, say from account coordinator to account manager, maybe account supervisor, account director, they pursue a VP of accounts role, they can follow a version of this as well. So the four stages are this, and, and as people are listening along, you might think about which stage are you in now? And you can be in more than one stage. You might be stage one in some areas, stage three in others, that kind of thing. But here are the four stages. And you can imagine, you know, if, if people are listening, imagine a fuel gauge or a petrol gauge, right? We're going from empty toward full. The first stage of day-to-day -day involvement is you are mandatory, stage one, which is just that, right? You are mandatory on a day-to-day -day basis. You just can't get away, right? And 
that's probably a case where you don't have team members handling things and, you know, kind of whatever clients want, they get. That's not ideal. Stage two is you are necessary. At this point, your team is taking care of a lot of things. You can, you know, go out to lunch and don't expect that something will have, you know, gone wrong while you're away. Though, if your team is handling things, they may be handling it poorly at times. So you're having to clean up a lot of messes. That's stage two. So you, you know, stage one, mandatory, stage two, necessary. Stage three is where a lot of people aspire to get, and that is where they are needed, but not necessary. Things are running more smoothly. You could go on vacation for a week or two. Things will probably be fine when you get back and things like that. You've got a good team. When you're needed but not necessary, that stage three, that's a good place to be. If you want, though, you can pursue stage four, which is to make yourself optional. When you're optional, you are just that. You are optional on a day-to-day basis. If you were running a lifestyle business, you can focus on the fun stuff, the stuff you like doing, but now you don't have to do when you're optional. Or if you're looking to do an exit, the more optional you are, the better a deal you're going to be able to negotiate. Potentially a shorter earnout period, potentially a higher valuation, potentially more money down, because the acquirer can see, well, they are optional. The business can, in theory, run without them. So you also, again, as I said, can be in more than one at once. For instance, you might be, you know, maybe you're mandatory as the sales closer, but you might be optional for the initial screening. You have someone do the initial screening for you. So you can be in more than one at once. But for people who are listening, if you think about the, the four stages, you might consider what stage are you in now? And is that the stage you want to be in? If it's not, there are steps you can take to get there. And I, I describe them in the Work Less or More book. Again, people Googling the book and writing down those levels, because you're right. I mean, that's your diagnostic, isn't it? Let's determine where you are so that we can get the right strategy for you. Love it. So let's go back to, we've talked a bit about account management, but I'd love to dive in a bit deeper. What for you, Carl, I talk about this a lot, but I'd love to hear it from somebody else. What's the difference between a project manager and an account manager? The way I define it is this. Account management is about keeping the clients happy and usually selling them more work. They're the voice of the client within the agency. A project manager, on the other hand, is about getting the work done smoothly, efficiently, and profitably. Now, at a small agency, someone might have a PM title or an AM title and do both roles. I did at one point. I was a project manager at a 12-person agency. I'd had a PM title, and I was very much doing project management, but I was also serving as the account manager. I was the first point of contact for clients that I was handling. And so it's a tough combination, right? If AM is mostly client-facing, and it's more about the relationship, PM is more internally facing generally and more about getting the work done, there's a tension between those two roles. The AM is looking to get the client excited about possibilities and spend more money. And the PM is like, we got to get things done that we've already sold. And so, you know, if an agency is smaller, say under 12-ish people, they're probably going to combine both. If, on the other hand, you have 25 or 30 people and you haven't split the roles, you're probably going to get in trouble there. The ideal is that the account manager is trying to take care of the client, sometimes maybe a little too much. The PM counterbalances that. And the PM is, let's get the work done. But the AM counterbalances being too focused on Are we following all the rules every time versus are there times sometimes you should choose to strategically relax the rules? When you see that an agency has a lot of these hybrid 
account manager, project manager yeah. in one roles. And they are of that size where they really should have considered seriously splitting it. What's the impact to the agency of not splitting it so that anyone that's listening that thinks, well, I've got a load of hybrids. What am I looking for in terms of symptoms to think that that's not actually working for me and it could be working better? The symptoms will vary on an account by account basis, because if you have, say, account managers who lean toward PM, they're probably going to be great at getting the work done, but they're going to be some unhappy clients. Or if you have people who lean more toward account management, whatever their title might be, you might be doing a lot of out of scope, unpaid work because account managers are, you know, trying to keep the client happy no matter what, regardless potentially of the budget implications. And again, that's not true for all account managers, but I would take a look. Does your team lean toward the account manager profile and there's not PM to counterbalance them? You're probably going to have a lot of out of scope situations, but clients will be very happy. And then if they lean more toward the PM profile where it's like, we got to get it done, the work will probably be profitable, but you might be missing out on upsell opportunities and maybe some gaps where higher EQ, emotional intelligence, could have helped prevent some of those problems. So ideally split the roles so you have dedicated account managers, dedicated project managers, make sure to budget for it because there's going to be more communication. Those are some symptoms to look for. Very succinctly put, thank you. What for you is, because your operational background clearly, Carl, so you're a bit of an expert in this particular area particularly, can you describe sort of best-in-class operational process where the account manager is separate to the project manager, but they yeah. need to work together in harmony. Like, could you just describe as best you can what good looks like? It's important that they see each other as peers rather than competitors or rather than one seeing the other as subordinate because they each have a very important job to do. So if we think about the life cycle of a project or a retainer, you know, there's an initial sales conversation or hopefully marketing activities to get the sales inquiry to happen. There's the sales inquiry. It's important that the account manager be involved in the sales process, certainly at the proposal stage, maybe not in the very initial conversation stage, but fairly early on, unless they are actually the salesperson as well. So when it comes to the proposal, the client is meeting the account manager and building a relationship with them and things like that. Though, ideally, the project manager was involved in either building out the scope for the proposal or at least reviewing it. If the salesperson were to create the scope, you need someone from the PM team to double check it because otherwise there's a risk that the salesperson is overpromising and then is going to underdeliver, except that it's the delivery team, including the PM, that will be the one doing the underdelivery. So ideally, the AM and the PM are both involved in the sales process. The PM may be more behind the scenes, the AM more, you know, out front. When it comes to kickoff, the AM is leading the kickoff meeting. The salesperson is attending it. So if there are any questions, so the client's like, I thought we were getting such and such. The salesperson needs to be there to say, I know we discussed it, but, you know, as you initialed here, we didn't proceed with that because you didn't want to pay for it. Uh, or, you know, more diplomatically, that did not make your final budget, you yeah. know, and ideally signed a list of sales exclusions of things that didn't make it into the scope assumptions. Uh, but the PM will be at the kickoff meeting as well. And so anything that the AM is hearing from the clients are going to get relayed to the PM. At certain meetings, it may make sense for the PM to join the meeting to hear things directly from the clients. This is partly why you need additional budget for that communication overhead between the AM and the PM. If you don't have someone who's in that hybrid dual role, they're both the account manager and project manager, they're going to be talking back and forth. There are going to be times when both are in the meeting. 
there are going to be times where there's maybe a, you know, some confusion or miscommunication, and they're going to have to have some additional communication to figure that out. But ultimately, when you have that working, where the PM is focusing on the iron triangle of project management, good, fast, cheap, pick two, and the account manager is focusing on, are we keeping the client happy? Are we doing work that is meeting the client's goals? Are there potentially some upsell opportunities, things like that? Things can run smoothly, or at least as smoothly as possible. You know, as I mentioned in the Work Less Earn More book, and also in my previous book, Made to Lead, Pocket Guide to Managing Marketing Creative Teams, you know, running an agency will never be easy, but it doesn't have to be so hard. Very nice. And I like your elegant description of the healthy tension that exists. And you're absolutely right. They are on a level. There's no kind of one person. They're just complementary yes. skills, aren't they? The skill sets are completely different. Yes. Um, Carl, let's turn our attentions to what you're seeing generally. I know you work with hundreds of agencies. Yes. And what kinds of latest trends are you seeing generally with digital agencies? And where do you think it's all headed? Everyone, of course, is talking about AI, which, you know, really is about generative AI uh, rather than, you know, Turing test could be a, a human AI kind of thing. You know, popular topic. I was at the Bureau of Digital's AI in your agency workshop recently. You know, I think one of the big takeaways was some aspects of AI are going to be easier than it might seem and others are going to be a lot harder than it seems. One example that came up was, for instance, cutting an SEO audit, the time required to do it. Instead of spending 40, 40 hours to do it, they were able to get it done in just four, just four hours. But it took a lot of work to get that done. And you're still overseeing to make sure that the system you built is doing it right. right? You still need to need to double check. So there are opportunities for efficiency there. Uh, there are opportunities potentially to do the work better. I, I don't see human agency team members going away completely, but you know, certainly opportunities. I don't know if AI, yeah, AI is not going to replace everyone, I don't believe. Of course, there's also a trend toward clients cutting their budgets or expecting more for less. Um, an opportunity there, of course, is to value anchor what you're doing. For instance, back when I was doing some work on an hourly basis, a client said, wow, that's, or a prospective client said, that's more than I pay my lawyer. And, you know, I guess my response there would be, yeah, it's more than I pay my lawyer too. But unlike my lawyer, my job is to make you millions of dollars. Nice. So if, you know, if someone is in conversations with your client and they're, they're overly focused on the, the price or worse, if they're trying to get into your costs, that's not, none of their business, shift the conversation back to what is the value they're getting. And it doesn't have to be full-scale value pricing, but at least do value anchoring. And if they don't want to tell you what the value is, that doesn't sound like a partnership kind of client relationship. That sounds like an order taker. I agree with you. And I love that comeback. You probably had a few people cheering in the background when you said that. <laughs> yes. How, how do you think generally clients' needs are going to change? Let's start with your clients. Let's start with the agencies. Can you see that their needs will change as we move forward in the next kind of five to 10 years? So some things you know, for sure will, will change. Yes, it's figuring out how can they use AI, but that also includes other technologies. For instance, I have a client who is a specialist in a particular marketing automation platform, and they've noticed that you know there's limited growth potential for that particular platform. It's very expensive. There are only certain companies that can afford it, but also that need it. And so they're weighing what next, and they're looking into particular options. You know, they're exploring that. So you know, don't get complacent about your cash cow or where you're making most of your money now. 
you know, imagine if you specialized in, you know, MySpace social media marketing. Yeah, not good. Or doing flash development back in the day. Also, you know, not good. So you'll want to dedicate some time to figure out what is next. And the what's next is going to be unique to every agency. Part of it draws on your interests, draws on your team, draws on your client focus, whether you're a generalist or a specialist, things like that. You know, that's something to consider. The other thing is, uh, as you think about, if you write your advanced retrospective, that may drive a change in your agency model. So we can think about agency model in a few ways. One is around your services. I think of agency services fitting three categories. I call it think, teach, do. Think is strategy, teach is training and empowerment, do is implementation. You know, if you want to get out of doing lots and lots of implementation, you need to start offering the think strategy services, or maybe teach training and empowerment, could start coaching clients, something I talked about in a recent agency office hours event where an owner had made himself mostly optional on a day-to-day basis, and he wanted to offer coaching services to his clients as a new revenue stream and a way to become a bit stickier with client relationships. So that's an opportunity too, but not just services, also how are you running the agency? And we could think of that as the, you know, the, the agency growth approach, which is traditionally every agency has been a full stack agency. They do the work facing the clients and then they do the fulfillment. Over the years, there have also been white label agencies, which we could think of as back-end agencies. They are not doing the client-facing work, but they're doing all the fulfillment. There's a growth recently around what I would call a front-end agency. They are doing the sales and marketing and brand building. They're doing the account management. They're doing the project management, and they're doing the client strategy. But they are hiring other agencies or contractors or a mix of both to do much of the fulfillment. They might do some of it in-house, but their model is basically being the front end facing the client, and then they've got a whole fulfillment apparatus behind that. If that's something that matches your goals, you're going to want to start working on that now. Start finding fulfillment partners, back-end agencies, and or contractors. You're probably going to go through a few before you find the right partner for you, and you still need to be ready. You might need to make some changes. So those are some things to consider. Where do you want to go based on your advanced retrospective? Do you need to make changes to your agency model? And are you dedicating enough time for tech exploration and business building in general to make sure that you are driving the agency rather than being along for the ride? Great points. Thank you for sharing. That's really interesting. The front end model that you described, I know an agency personally who's kind of moving towards that. And they're looking at a much more profitable model. And the other thing I just wanted to pick up on was I love the think, teach, do. You have a lovely way, a very clear, succinct way of describing things. With the example you used with one of the agency owners who had made himself optional and now was training and coaching his clients, Mm -hmm. what exactly is he coaching in? Can you explain? And how is that different from the kind of consulting, the strategy part? So uh, he is not a client. He was a guest in the office hours Q&A that I do each month. So I don't know all the details, but he did share it's primarily coaching his clients on marketing. So marketing strategy and, and things related to that. A key thing to make that work, coaching, which is a very broad term. For instance, when I coach clients, it is technically coaching style consulting. I'm still advising them what to do. It's not like a therapist might say, uh, this would be in pure coaching, well, what do you think you should do? Yeah. You know, it, 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 and there is value to that approach, but people come to me because they're looking for advice about what to do. And then the coaching style support and accountability and 
from having been a project manager to help them get it done. You know, growing up, the oldest of five kids, my parents were both career army officers before they retired. And, you know, it was all about how do you get things done? How do you accomplish the mission? How do you make it happen? Kind of thing. So, I mean, there, there are a lot of moving parts there. Any follow-up questions on, on that? No, I can see why you would say that, yeah, coaching them in marketing strategy, kind of, you know, rather than doing a mini MBA in marketing, let's draw on the skills of our agency owner who can come and teach us. So that makes perfect sense. And, and then um, we're advising them not doing it. Yeah, exactly. Not doing it for them. I love that model. I think that's given so many ideas. Thank you so much, Carl. You're just a fountain of knowledge. And I just want to say yeah. how helpful you've been to me as well. Like we've spoken a couple of times and following one of the calls, you picked up on so many things that I wanted to achieve. And you followed up with this really comprehensive email with loads of resources, which I was quite blown away. So thank you so much. Of Clearly working with you is extremely beneficial. I'm just conscious of time and I just got one more question. Anything sure. that I haven't asked you, any final pieces of advice that you would give to an agency owner listening who ultimately wants to work less and earn more? Yes. I've noticed over the past decade and longer, a lot of the problems where I'm called in, whether it's a good to great or if things are struggling and you're trying to make it better, come back to the agency owner or owners letting things fester. It could be a challenge related to a team member. It could be a challenge related to a client. could be a challenge related to an outside partner firm or with their business partner. If you've got a problem, it is tempting to just ignore it or pretend it's not happening or not address it, but it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. It's probably going to get more expensive. You know, if you've got a team member who just isn't getting things done, take action. Ideally, coach them on improving, but if it's not going to improve, like you're not running a charity, you need to help them find a role where they will succeed. Same thing with if you're having challenges with your business partner, like discuss them. And if you've got challenges with a client, discuss them. And that includes arming your team with things to do. Like, you know, uh, some of my clients have done your account management training, and they've mentioned that it helps to have tools to have those conversations rather than just letting things go. So uh, if it's, you know, one point of advice, don't let things fester. Thank you. That's, what that, I, that's great. That's a great piece of advice to finish on, actually. Okay, so finally, if anyone would like to contact you, who would you like to hear from and what's the best way to make contact? If you're an agency owner looking for ways to work less and earn more, whether that's because you want to have an exit, but you're not quite ready to make that happen, or if you lean toward running a lifestyle agency, but you're doing a lot of things that you don't want to do, and maybe you've got someone who's high potential to take over for you, but you're not sure what the path would be. Glad to help. You can go to sakasandcompany.com. That's S-A-K-A-S-A-N-D, the word company.com. You can learn more about my services. You can also access hundreds of articles. I have clients who joke that I have an article for everything. I actually have a backlog of another five or 600 article ideas to develop. So someday, maybe an article for, for everything. And if the Work Less, Earn More book sounds of interest to you, it is available on Amazon worldwide in Kindle format and paperback, uh, hardcover, and Audible as well, if you prefer to listen to it. It's a, a four-hour listen. You can go to worklessearnmorebook.com to get a free sample chapter, to get the various Amazon links to, to find it in, in your country, as well as a free companion workbook to help you cement what you've learned. That's at worklessearnmorebook.com. 
Wonderful, Card. We'll make sure to put all of those links into the show notes. Thank you so much for joining me. This has been so valuable. Thanks, Janet. Well, I hope you enjoyed my chat with Carl. Please check out his website, sacasandcompany.com for all of his resources. And he really does have some excellent downloadables there. And finally, many agency account managers haven't received any formal training in account management, believe it or not. And also, as they get to a more senior account manager level, there's a greater responsibility for looking after and co-creating the forecast and a greater need to know exactly how to grow an existing account because ultimately that's where the value of account management comes from. It's about expanding that existing client relationship. Now, My Account Accelerator is a 12-month training and coaching program that's specifically designed to build an entrepreneurial mindset in agency account management. Now, it shows you how to do three things. One, act as a trusted advisor rather than an order taker so you can understand the client's goals, spot new growth opportunities and follow them through. Number two, it helps you feel more confident proposing and presenting additional relevant ideas and services, which helps maintain a healthy sales pipeline and an accurate forecast. And it helps you also not feel salesy when you do that. And finally, it also helps you feel more comfortable asking for referrals and testimonials so you can help increase the lifetime value of existing client relationships. So you'll come away with a proven account management and growth process, an end-to-end client growth framework, and a proactive client retention strategy. And this means that account growth will be more systematic and predictable in your agency. So if any of this sounds interesting to you, check out the details on my website, accountmanagementskills.com. Look for the Account Accelerator program and I'll leave you with Catherine Strachan, the owner of content marketing agency Copy House, who talks about the results she saw from her team who attended the Account Accelerator. I'll see you on the next one. Our pipeline um, before the course, you know, was really dry. And then now it's at, it's the same amount as new business and it's more than doubled.